Praise the Lord, everyone. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this Sunday and to worship with all of you. Church looks so beautiful and full, amen, and um, I'm so happy and thankful. Trust me, I've been here for many, many, many years, coming here many years, so I've, I've seen the progress, I've seen the the progression, and I'm, I am excited about what God is doing. Amen. I want to turn your attention to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to be reading verse 14 through verse 18. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 18. And the Bible reads as so in the name of Jesus Christ. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I want to speak to you um, just several minutes on this subject, the cost of complaining, the cost of complaining. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. May it be delivered in the manner that is understandable and that your people may not just hear, but that they may listen, appropriate, and then put into practice what they hear. And we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So we live in a society that thrives on complaining. Every generation seems to be giving birth to another generation, a new generation of new complainers. And the problem seems to be getting worse with each passing generation. Generation after generation seems to complain. How ironic to me that nations that seem to be more indulged and more advanced are the very ones that are leading the charge as it pertains to complaining. It almost seems like there's a correlation between how much people possess and how much complaining possesses them. We live in a culture where our young people seem to be discontent just about everything. They love to complain about everything. Nothing is ever the way they would like it. They go through life not finding enjoyment in anything. And this generation has actually resurrected the spirit of protests from the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, we protest everything nowadays, so much so that I, I read the other day that a group of students went to their professor at Harvard and said, we have a group that would like to protest. Do you know of any good causes? It's as if the protest is more important than the cause itself. That's the kind of generation we're living in, in a generation of complainers. And negativity, which is often manifested in, in various forms, 
such as bickering, finger pointing, gossip, and the biggest of them all, complaining, cost the U.S. economy between 250 to 300 billion dollars a year in lost product productivity. Um, and that's according to the Gallup organization. So complaining is not just, you know, some little problem. It's costing America 250 to 300 and a billion dollars a year. And before you sit there and judge everyone else for their complaining, may I suggest that you are not exempt from this problem? Um, I, listen, I read somewhere that complaining is like bad breath. You only notice it in others, but you can't notice it on yourself. See, none of us are exempt. And if you don't believe me, then uh, how about this? We complain about traffic jams. If you're from Houston, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, we complain about fast drivers. Uh, but there's something that is a lot worse than a fast driver. That's a slow driver. Amen. I rebuke them. We complain about long lines. We complain about crying babies. We complain about bad grammar. Uh, if you are the grammar police here, I'm yeah, just let me say this. I am the grammar chief of police. And um, we complain about lukewarm food at a restaurant. We complain about misspelled names at Starbucks. We complain about the government. We complain about gas prices. And um, uh, we complain about Bitcoin and stocks and washing dishes. We even complain about people who wear Crocs in public. Especially when they wear it with the tube socks. Um, no. And on and on and on. We just, by nature, we are complainers. That's the same spirit that has transferred somehow into the church culture. Services are too long or services are too short. Uh, no Sunday night service, whatever happened to Sunday night service, or it's too modern, or it's too old school, or music is too loud, or not enough ushers, or pastor's wife isn't as involved, or pastor's wife is too involved. They ask for too much money, or no one shook my hand, and so forth, and so forth. The little donut holes were stale this morning, and that wasn't my complaint. <laughs> Amen. We just love to complain. There's a sense in which complaining is characteristic of our culture, but there's also a sense in which complaining is not unique to our culture. It is unique to the human species. You see, as a matter of fact, complaining can be traced all the way back to the beginning. The first complaining human being who ever walked the earth was the first human being who ever walked the earth. And his name was Adam. And what was the world's first complaint? God, the woman you gave me. It's the world's first complaint. Uh, some complaints, ladies and gentlemen, are legitimate. Now, if you're a husband and you laughed at that, <laughs> you are sleeping on the couch. 
But complaining didn't stop with Adam. Cain complained about God's judgment in Genesis 4 and 13. Moses complained to God, oh Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? Aaron and Miriam complained against Moses in Exodus 12 because of the Cushite woman whom Moses had married. Jonah complained because he was mad that God had saved the Ninevites. And the Bible is full from its inception of people who just knew how to complain and complain and complain. See, when the Bible talks about complaining, it informs us that there are two ways to go before the Lord with our complaint. To be temporarily dissatisfied in this world is not inherently sinful. It is simply an expression of our human condition. As we wait for our glorification, there is dissatisfaction within us in this world. That is normal. That's okay. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans chapter 8, Paul says that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, Christians, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. So we groan inwardly. There is dissatisfaction within us that is normal groaning is an honest expression of what it's like to experience the trouble the anguish the grief of living in this fallen and futile world and God does not mind that kind of complaining all throughout the book of Psalms especially the Psalms that are called the Psalms of lament the psalmist they model for us how to properly complain before God in Psalms 142, verse 1 and 2, David said, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. You see, the Psalms of Lament, they teach us that it's okay to go before the Lord with our sorrows, with our anger, with our fear with our longing, with our confusion confusion and desolation and even our depression. However, after their complaints were all said and done in the Psalms of Lament, they also acknowledged that even though this dissatisfaction was legitimate, they trusted God's sovereignty and wisdom in spite of it. Almost every psalm of lament after their complaint was finished caused the lamenting soul to trust in God and to put their faith in God. Take, for example, Psalm 42. My tears have been my food day and night. That is lament. He's lamenting. While they continually say to me, where is your God? That is lamenting. He keeps going on. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. He's lamenting. He's still crying. And then he gets to verse 5, just one verse later. And he says, uh, he says why are you cast down, O oh my soul? and why are you disquieted within me hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance 
You see, it's okay to lament. It's okay to cry. It's okay to come before the Lord with your complaint. It's okay to come before God with your humanness. As long as you acknowledge in the end that he is not to blame, that he is still good, that he is still sovereign, as long as after you wipe away the tears that you have poured, after your complaint is over, you demand that your soul praises that very God because he has never left you nor has he forsaken you. That is the right way to complain. That's the right way to complain. You're hurting, but you're hoping. You're grieving, but you're glorifying. You're painful, but you're praiseful. You're tearful, but you're trusting. That's the right way to complain before God. It's to say, I hurt, but I trust your holiness. I hurt, but you are mighty and sovereign and pure and holy, and you will never, ever do anything wrong because your ways are pure and all these things are working together for the good so I will trust you along this painful road but there's another way to complain and our text simply says do all things without complaining that's the new King James version the NIV says do all things without grumbling and then the KJV says do all things without murmuring all of these terms are different elements of the same sin complaining grumbling murmuring and the bible warns us against against it over and over again see grumbling isn't just our expression of dissatisfaction to god when you murmur or grumble or complain according to this text it's our expression of this dissatisfaction against God against God and there is a difference you can complain to God but don't you ever complain against God at the end of grumbling there is no encouragement of the soul to put its trust in God even after we wipe away the tears there is still resentment there when we're through praying there is still a bitterness of the soul over the course our lives are presently on you see when you murmur what God hears is I know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord but I don't trust that you have ordered mine correctly that's what God hears when you complain at its root complaining declares that God is not sufficiently good that he is not sufficiently faithful that he is not loving and wise and powerful a murmuring spirit communicates that if God were good or faithful or loving or wise or powerful he wouldn't have us in the situation that we're in right now and when we grumble we are passing judgment on God's sovereign reign over his created world when we grumble we cast doubt on the faithfulness and the providence of God grumbling it is a very presumptuous sin where you feel like you are entitled to something more than you are getting right now grumbling is believing that you deserve better than what God has allowed in your life 
And in the book of Jude, grumbling and complaining is characteristic of false teachers and apostates. The Bible says these are grumblers and complainers walking according to their own lusts. And in our text, complaining is characteristic of people who give Christianity a bad name. They give Christianity a bad name. It says do all things without grumbling or, or complaining and disputing. And when it says disputing, it's talking about disputing against God. Saying why? Why do I have to do this? It's talking about fighting against God over the course of your life. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world because when you're grum when you grumble your light ceases to shine before the world your witness before the world is at stake when you live a life that is full of murmur and complaining and grumbling a life full of complaint does not differentiate you from the world that's what they do they complain about everything they complain about job about their family about sports about about the world about politics about everything they complain and yet the world is wicked and perverse and as Christians we do not act like the world when you complain you are testifying to the world hey I'm saved but I'm not enjoying my salvation I'm a Christian but I'm not happy I serve God out of duty and obligation but I don't serve God out of joy and thanksgiving friends that is a serious sin and Paul says do not complain that you may be a light in this wicked and perverse world amen some people have made grumbling a normal part of their lives they're discontent with their home discontent with school discontent with church discontent with family their relationship status the kind of family they grew up in their handicaps their illnesses their weaknesses they're just discontent they're always lacking something they just always seem to come sh up short of the goal the, the Greek word for complaining in our text is the word mas, and it is an onomatopoeic word now let me explain what that means it is a word that is formed from the very sound that is associated with the name so for example boom when you say boom you don't need a definition for boom because the very sound of it defines the word it's an explosion of some sort when I say hey click here what does click mean you don't need a definition for click click is the very sound that a keyboard or a pen makes so that's the word itself uh, the name itself defines it the name itself the sound that that name makes defines the word that's what an onomatopoeic word is in the Greek phonetically speaking the sound gongusmas makes that that sound is supposed to sound like what it sounds like to murmur so every time that we complain that's what it sounds like in the Greek if we knew Greek that's what it would sound like gongusmas gongus to me it sounds like uh, for us you know if you're in America it kind of sounds like 
That's what it sounds like to me. And that would be kind of like the equivalent. Every time you grumble, that's what God hears on his end. And, you know, it's like, isn't that what your children do? Hey, it's your turn to wash dishes. It's your turn to do. We have to go to church. I don't want to go to church. There's just a murmur, a complaining, a grumbling. Everything's just. You got to brush your teeth. Amen. Anybody else deal, deal with that or dealt with that? Amen. Not my children. The Bible is very clear about the attitude that is perceived by God when we do these things. In the book of uh, Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, Paul says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? You see what Paul is saying? We are clay. We are clay. That's all we are in a potter's hand. You don't get the right to tell the potter, I don't like my shape. I don't like my color. And why are you going to put me in a garage and not in a palace? I'd rather be in a palace. I don't want to go to Taco Bell. I want to be at Papacitos. And, and, and you don't get to tell the potter where you go get to go. It is the potter's clay. It is the potter's desire. It is the potter's will. It is the potter who knows best. And Paul says, who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? God, we would not allow it in our children, or at least I hope you don't allow answer, answering back to, in your children, you know. I hope that we've taught them enough that when they get to their teen years, they don't answer back. Amen. I learned my lesson quickly when I was growing up. I came into my teens and I thought, you know, I've, I've got a, a mind of my own now. And I'll never forget, I told my dad one time we were going to a church event and he had a tie that just didn't not match his clothes and I remember I was far enough from him that I could say it and I said dad you do not match you need to go upstairs and change and then the very words that came out of my mouth next were you look like a and CL that's all I could say because before I could finish that my mother's hand was up in my mouth you don't ever speak to your father like that that was the last time that I answered back. We stop that in our children and yet we do it to our heavenly father. And Paul says, don't you ever answer back to God. That's the attitude that many possess. How come I'm not married? And why was I born short or tall or big boned or handicapped? Why is my family so dysfunctional? Why couldn't I be born into a wealthy home? Why don't I have that husband? It's the spirit of gongusmas. Everything just seems to bother you. What's wrong with you? What about your family? What about your wife? What about your children? What about your job? Brother Diaz, what about your ministry? What about your love life? When Job struggled with his afflictions, he found it impossible 
not to grumble that God would let him, a righteous man, suffer greatly. He didn't like his lot in life. And many of us read that story and think, well, Job kind of had a right to grumble. I mean, he was perfect and righteous and did all things well. And yet he lost his family, lost his house, lost his money, lost his health. He lost everything, it seemed. And it was because it was God who brought him up. When the Avengers had a little meeting up there, you know, it was God who said, have you not considered my servant Job? You know, and I've told the Lord many times, when you have your meetings with whomever runs the stuff, don't bring my name up just I'm good I just keep me anonymous amen see the Lord patiently heard all of Job's complaints and then finally God answered back in the book of Job right he heard everything Job had to say and then in chapter 38 this is what uh, God answered back to Job he said who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge you obscure my plans with words without knowledge. See, every time we complain, we are obscuring God's plans with words. In other words, you are talking what you don't know. You are in way over your head. And some of us are complaining about unanswered prayers in our lives. And we're just going And you don't. And you healed such and such. And you did such and such. And you turned this and that. But why can't you do it for me? You're not wise enough to justify your complaint before God. You just don't know all that God knows. Don't you understand that God answers our prayers exactly the way that we would have answered those prayers if we knew everything that God knows about the universe, about what is today and yesterday and forever. If we had all that knowledge, we would answer our prayers the same way he answers our prayers. Don't you ever complain about unanswered prayers because the greatest unanswered prayer in the whole Bible and in the whole world was Jesus, the man Christ Jesus himself who said, let this cup pass from me and thank God that he didn't answer that prayer because none of us would be here today. None of us would be here today. He spared not his own son, but he gave him up for us. He gave him up for us. That's what the Bible says. He said, who is this? You obscure my plans with words without knowledge. Now, this is what he tells him. He keeps talking. He says, now brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself. Why would the people in the past brace themselves. Another version says, gird up your loins. Why would they gird up their loins? They would gird up their loins so that they can move, so that they can fight. They girded up their loins either to run or to fight. That's what they did. It was either fight or flight. And, and this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, hey, Job, Job, listen, your complaining against me is like fighting words. You are challenging me to a fight. You're challenging my wisdom. You are challenging my sovereignty. You are challenging my understanding. So if that's what you want, then put your dukes up. Brace yourself like a man. We're going to fight now. Are you ready to fight against God? Is that really what you want? 
He said, I won't do it physically because I would flick your nose and wipe out your whole generation. So that's not what I'm going to do. I will challenge you by asking you certain questions and I need you to answer me. And this is what he said. He said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I want to know if you have enough wisdom to know how to run this world. I want to know if you know all there is to know about this universe or are you just focused on your own satisfaction, your happiness, your lust, your comfort. And these are the questions that God asked him. He said, where were you when I laid earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know that's pretty gangster. I mean, the Lord is out here being all sarcastic like surely you you know, right? You know, answer this. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? And after God's response, do you know what Job did? Job had to admit in Job 42 and 3, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? This is what Job said. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then in verse 6, he says, therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Oh, God, let that same spirit get a hold of the church. Let that same repentant spirit get a hold of us. Let us repent in dust and ashes for our many complaints with words without knowledge as though we have forgotten the many benefits that God has placed on us. As though we've forgotten that you have been faithful to us, O oh God, as though we've forgotten your goodness and grace to us all. Israel learned the hard way how costly their complaint was. Ten times they complained in the desert. Ten times it is said that they tested the Lord in the desert. They complained. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? That's Exodus 14, 11. Exodus 15, and the people complained against Moses. Exodus 16, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Exodus 17, therefore the people contended against Moses. Exodus 17 and 3, and the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses. Over and over again, the people of Israel forgot God's goodness. And so this is uh, what the Lord did. Finally, he said, hey, y'all, y'all are over here. This is the promised land I've given you, but it only takes 11 days to get from point A to point B to this promised land. But I'm going to have you wandering around the desert for 40 years for one reason and one reason alone, because you murmured against me. You complained against me. And the only reason I'm not killing all of you right now is because Moses interceded on your behalf and said no Lord don't do this to your people and so he said that's the only reason I won't wipe you out from this earth right now but you know what none of you who complained against me is going into the promised land this is the cost of complaint he said you are not going into the promised land so you know why they had to wander around the desert for 40 years in a, in a trajectory that only lasted 11 days 
until the very last person who complained died in the desert. The Lord did not allow them to go in to the promised land. So he had them wander around until the very last person who complained against them died. They all died in the wilderness before he allowed his children, their children to go in to the promised land. He said, I'm going to keep my promise, but I'm going to keep them to your children. I'm not going to keep them to you because you're a complaining and a murmuring generation and it irks me that you come before my sovereignty and my knowledge and my wisdom the way that you do and just don't ever say well but that was old testament preacher that would never happen to us well i beg to differ i beg to differ see in first corinthians 10 and 11 it says now all these things happened to them talking about israel it happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come well what things happen to whom as examples and for what our admonition what things i'm glad you ask all you have to do is just go one verse before that as a matter of fact if you go two verses before that this is what it says nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And then verse 11, the one we just read, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Ladies and gentlemen, when you live your life with a complaining spirit there is a symptom of a deeply rooted spiritual problem and what is that problem it is a failure to trust the goodness of God in your life so what is the what is what ought you do other than complain the Bible tells you just a couple of chapters later, Paul modeled it for us when he said, I have learned in whatsoever state that I am in to be content. Don't complain, be content in whatsoever state that I find myself everywhere and in all I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need this is the apostle Paul is talking about being hungry and he's talking about having need do you understand what I'm saying because some of us are like well God you know I tithe and I do this and I do that and I come to church we're talking about the apostle Paul went hungry went with need and he said I have learned to be content in all those things whether I'm hungry or whether I have whether I'm full whether I'm abased or whether I abound I have learned to be content and it's in that context that we get this verse that is often taken out of context I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's the attitude we ought to have when you find yourself in a place that is less desirable instead of complaining you ought to say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me 
I remember forget years ago now, um, it's crazy to think that it's been, it has been 10 years, but I'll never forget um, uh, after uh, my beautiful wife had left home, um, I was stuck with my, my boys. I say stuck because if you knew them, you'd know I was stuck. <laughs> you thought I was going to fix that. No, I was stuck. Um, so I, I had both my boys with me, and um, it was such a challenge. At the beginning, we tried to do um, co-parenting and, you know, that, that whole, uh, you know, shared custody type thing. And um, I, was, I was a broken man. I would pray and cry every night that my wife would come back home, and we would pray together with my, with my boys. Um, I would pray with them that my wife would come back home. And then um, uh, she just did not. Well, it was my birthday. On my birthday, I took my boys out to eat at Fogo de Chao, you know. And it was my birthday, but I took my boys. Amen. I am, I'm going to be charging them as soon as they get a job. <laughs> Past birthday presents they owe me. So um, I took him out, and we were sitting at this uh, dinner table, and something that came out of nowhere from Caleb's mouth, he said something that absolutely turned my world upside down. I had no idea what they were going through, what kind of life they were living on that end, and what was happening. And he said something so nonchalantly, he just blurted it out and I, I said son could you say that again and he said it again and so I said what inside you know I've never once spoken a negative anything against their mother but I, I sat there in total shock my heart broke shattered into pieces um, and I, I was holding back tears even as, as he said what he said so I, I looked over at Micah Micah has always been a mama's boy since birth. I mean, the guy didn't smile at me till he was three. And that's because I was tickling him. Micah, he never acknowledged me. He never acknowledged me when he was a child. So I knew this was going to be uh, the, the test, you know, whether, whether what Caleb was saying was truth or not. So I looked over at, at Micah and I said, uh, uh, son, is, is he telling the truth? And Micah, not wanting to um, put any fault on his mother, but also so conflicted because he knew it was true. I'll never forget when Micah looked at me and then he just looked down and he wouldn't say anything for about 30 seconds. And then finally he went. He said, yes, dad. And uh, again, my heart was shattered, but I knew right then, okay, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I have to go in and I have to go take custody of my boys. There's no way that this can happen. So I, I went home that night. I remember weeping before the Lord that night. I went home that night. I closed my door and I said, oh God, you need to help me with this. I have no idea where we were and I, I felt so um, uh, truthfully 
I don't even know. There are some stories that come out even today that I'm not aware of, and, and it just breaks my heart. But I, I, um, I went before the Lord, and then um, I had already, uh, you know, if you've ever been through a process like this, you understand, I had already forked off so much money and so much resources and uh, all sorts of stuff. I didn't have the energy, the the money, the resources to to hire a lawyer. So I said, I, I'm going to do this on my own. And I went, everybody laughed at me. People said, my friends said, absolutely not. You better go and get yourself the best lawyer there. But I, I just could not. So I researched it. I Googled. I went to the courts. I filled out forms on my own. I, I, I didn't know how to present myself at trial. I didn't know protocol. I didn't know anything. Um, the day finally came, the night before, we would always have a nightly devotional. And so the night before, I went to their room, as I, uh, as I did every night, and I had my devotions with them. And um, I didn't know how they were going to take it. Uh, they loved their mom, and, and so did I. And um, I, I, didn't, I didn't want them to think in any way, shape, or form that I was trying to take her, take them away from her in any way. So I, I was trying to be very careful with this. Um, after I gave my little Bible story, right before we began to pray, I said, well, I said, uh, boys, I need to tell you something. I said, uh, tomorrow... I'm going to go to the court. And um, I said, I don't know if I'm doing right or wrong, so I apologize in advance. I said, um, but I'm going to be asking for full custody of both of you. Um, I just want you to pray that God's will um, would be done. And then I paused a little bit, um, hoping that one of them would give me a little word of encouragement, you know, just to say, all right, Dad, we'll pray with you. I didn't hear one word. It was the most awkward prayer that I have ever prayed in my life. Lord, look at these dumb kids. <laughs> um, I got to court the next morning, and uh, when we got to court that morning, I had no, y'all, I had no idea what I was doing. As a matter of fact, um, I remember getting to the table and I looked across and and that on that table, I, I didn't know who he was, but I just read the name of the lawyer that was on the plaque or whatever that was. And uh, right before trial began, I Googled him just to make sure, like, you know, you got to know who you're going against. Well, just so happens that he is, uh, if not the best, one of the best lawyers, family lawyers in all of Maricopa County where we lived at the time. And so why in the world do you Google stuff right before a trial? My heart just sank. And I said, Lord, this is, this is not your will. Um, the judge came up and he began to talk and then he asked me to talk and you hear my voice. It's pretty confident. It's not shaking or anything. When this man asked me to talk, I went from tenor to soprano in less than a second. My voice would not come out. I said, 
and my hand just shaked and my knees were knocking and I had no idea what I was doing and, and this guy was all confident on the other side and he pulled out some files. I didn't know what those files were about but I was looking at him like was I a mobster in a, in a past life that I don't that I don't know about you know I'm so sorry for taking the Cheetos when I was 13 um, so I just I was so I didn't know what uh, what to do uh, but um, at some point during that trial we we're going back and forth I won't tell you I almost felt like the angel of the Lord walked in that courtroom because all of a sudden my hands stopped shaking and my knees stopped knocking and I remember I before I spoke I said oh God help me if this is your will please help me and I took that microphone I put my mouth to that microphone and I began to speak with a conviction from on high and I said this is why we need such and such a thing I had no evidence I had nothing to you know show I had no anything it was just my word and everybody including one of the highest officers of the state. It was a lawyer for the state and I paid to get counsel from her. Do you want to know what she told me? She said, don't you ever do it. She said, I put people to shame every single week like you. He said, the, she said, the courts will never favor a man and especially if you don't have any evidences, you don't have, don't you ever try to do this. All it's going to take is just a little, little couple of tears. That's all it's going to take and this court is going to go way the other end and actually they may even increase your child support so she said don't you ever even try and so I you know all of that was in the back of my head but something happened during that trial my voice began to be confident and the Lord seemed to have stepped into that room and I began to state my statements and tell them with a conviction from on high can I tell you usually these things take a while and usually you know they deliberate for a while and then uh, they ask that uh, there's some sort of uh, they, they send you over to uh, you know some, somebody to uh, kind of intercede or uh, what do you call it when there's mediator they send you to a mediator to mediate uh, between you two and and, and furthermore and so and whatever I don't I don't know how to speak I'm, I'm acting like I'm at court right now that's what's going on right now but uh, so that that was going on. I uh, uh, after it was all said and done, the court didn't allow it to go on for another day. On that same day, the court ruled, and he said, "I award Mr. Diaz full custody of his two children here today." Uh, long story short, as I was walking out, the lawyer on the other end shook my hand, and he whispered to me, and he said. I believe that was the right decision. Good luck. And he left the room. I remember getting home that day and I was just so thankful over uh, everything that had happened. But I, I just, I, I didn't know how to tell my boys. Well, Caleb was the first one to walk in and he walks in from school and I didn't even know that they remembered. They hadn't said anything the night before. They hadn't said anything that morning when I had taken them to school. So they had arrived on their school bus. Uh, Caleb was the first one to walk in through the doors. And when he walked in through the doors, the very first thing he said before he took his backpack uh, off of his shoulders, he said, Dad, what happened in court today? 
And I thought, man, I was hoping to make some dinner and maybe ease into that conversation. But no, he said, what happened in court today? So I said, uh, uh, yeah, the uh, judge awarded you guys to me. And I'll never forget, Caleb grabbed his backpack and he started going up the stairs. They didn't say a word, just started going up the stairs. And as he's going up the stairs, I heard him whisper, yes, as he's going up the stairs. So I said, okay, that's half of the problem. Now, here comes global pandemic. Uh, he opens up the door. Micah, my, not my favorite. He opens up the door. <laughs> he opens up the door. And when he opens up the door, same exact thing as his brother. That what happened in court today? And so I looked and I said, oh, God, help me. This is the one. I said, um, son, the, the judge ordered that you, I have full custody of, of both of you. And he looked at me and he took his backpack and he started going up the stairs. And as he's going up the stairs, almost an exact replica of his brother, I also heard him whisper, yes, as he was going up. One of the greatest days throughout all this process, and there were many dark days during that time, but one of the greatest days of my life, God, it was almost like God gave me this little gift on that day, um, was when I saw both of them go up, and then when Micah finally reached up, he closed the door behind him, almost so I wouldn't hear what was about to happen. So he closed the door behind them, but I could hear everything, you know, and I was standing there and I could hear them. And it seemed as though they were jumping on the bed and they were hugging each other and they were saying, we're going to be with daddy. We're going to be with daddy. We're going to be with daddy. And they just kept jumping and carrying on and they were so excited and then they came out with a stoic face but um, uh, that was one of the greatest days of my life but I, I'll never forget what happened to me right after all of that I put my face in my hands on the count kitchen counter there um, after I had heard my voice with such jubilation and I began to weep before the Lord and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, spoke to my spirit on that day. I, I wish I could stand here and tell you that I am a model of what I'm preaching about. That I never complain, not once. Oh, no, 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 no. I complained. I complained daily. I would complain before the Lord. Lord, I tithe. Lord, I go to church. Lord, I haven't missed a service. Lord, I, I give and I preach. And Lord, I'm a Christian. Lord, I don't even wear shorts. I, I don't want women everywhere lusting after my knees. Right? You laugh. But you've never seen my knees. Anyway, so um, so here I was, and you know, that's how we do it. Oh, God, I'm entitled, I did this and that. And then um, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, um, you've complained and complained and complained. You have challenged my sovereignty and my wisdom and my knowledge. 
Do you not know that I have ordered your steps before the foundation of the world? Not one thing has ever taken me by surprise. Now, I have exchanged your sacrifice for a great gift I have given you and not many more people. He said, this is a gift of influence. I've given you the gift of influence. You may have to cry for 10 years. You may have to be lonely for 10 years. But I've given you a gift of influence. The gift that very many parents wish they had. The gift of not having another influence in their life. A bad influence in their lives. I've given you that kind of access. Where your boys would wake up in the morning hearing, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth not in the way of the sinner, who sitteth not at the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law doth he meditate day and night. I've given you that gift, the gift of raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you know when I was reminded of that, I was reminded of that about three weeks ago when my son Caleb was preaching at his first district youth rally in North Carolina. I was in the front row and I was watching my baby preach and I watched these young people cry before the Lord and the Lord reminded me, would you trade? Would you trade it? Would you trade your life now? Look what I've done. Look how I raised them. Look what I've given you. You complained. You complained. You murmured. And you did not know that all things are working together for your good. You did not know that the whole time you were crying, I was working it in the background so that your boys would serve the Lord. Nothing gives me more pleasure than to wake up at at, at 7.55 this morning and to wake up and have a text message waiting for me, for me and Caleb from my non-favorite son who said, it's the Lord's Day, y'all. Happy Lord's Day. Dad, preach your best today. Nothing ever, ever prepares you for when your children are growing up and serving the Lord. I would not trade my life for anything right now. So I will not complain. I will not murmur before the Lord. Now, would you lift your hands all over this building? And would you say, oh God, we have sinned before you in so many ways, but this is one of them. We've sinned by complaining and our murmuring. We've spoken many times and it's words without knowledge, words with no wisdom. All we care about many times is our comfort and our joy and our peace and, and me and me. And we don't understand that there's a bigger plan. We don't understand that all these things are working together for our good. We don't understand many times that you are working together for our good. So I pray, oh God, in this house that you would bring peace to your people. I would pray in this house, oh God, that you would touch our hearts, that you would stop our flesh from opening up our mouths to complain against you, but that we would in silence and humility, knowing that the Lord is in his temple, so let the whole earth be silent before him, knowing that 
are still on the throne so we will be silent before you and we will say yes to your will and yes to your way and we will be content with thanksgiving we will let all of our requests be made known unto God and the peace that passeth all understanding shall guide our hearts in our minds in Christ Jesus amen I want to open this altar I wonder if all over this building we could stand to our feet I wonder if all over this building amen some of us would gather here at this altar I I, I just I invite everybody if you could just come to this altar and and there's some things that you may have in your heart some complaints that you may have had in your heart that you may want to come before the Lord and say here I am Jesus here I am there's some things that I've complained about I'm not gonna lie I've murmured about some things I, I have done some things wrongly because I complained. I, I complained and I murmured and I grumbled. And I am so sorry that I did not understand that you had it all under control. That you knew all along what was best for me. That you knew all along that this was the right thing. I am so sorry that I, I, I did not see it. I did not see it before. But now I get it. You had everything under control now I get it time has let me know when I look back over my life time now has let me know that this whole time you've been with me through the valleys you've been with me through the hard times you've been with me through the times of great tribulation and great trouble and so I pray oh Lord that you would continue to be I will not complain I will not open my mouth against you I will trust your sovereign will you know what is best you know what is best for us and so we will trust we will trust we will